For weeks, countries have been scrambling for ventilators, masks, and personal protective equipment. But now doctors, pharmacists, hospitals, and health officials are raising the alarm about a different supply gap, a shortage of the drugs needed to treat COVID-19. I'm Emily Jackson, and you're listening to a special episode of Down to Business, recorded as part of a series called Strong and Free, Shockproofing Canada. The series examines how Canada, made wealthy by globalization and trade, can protect itself against pandemics and other future shocks. How can our country ensure some of our resources and economic power are reserved for our own security? This week, our topic is drugs. Joining us is Jim Keon, president of the Canadian Generic Pharmaceutical Association. His association represents generic drug makers, many of which are large, globally-oriented companies. Generics are used to fill about three-quarters of prescriptions in Canada, at both local pharmacies and big hospitals. We spoke about the vulnerabilities in the drug supply chain during the pandemic, why it would be impossible for Canada's drug supply to be completely self-sufficient, and the lessons Canada can learn from the crisis. Just how global is the supply chain for the pharmaceutical industry? We're, we know that supply chains are global, but this pandemic has really showed us how connected we all are. So I'm wondering if you can walk us through that. Yeah, so I think it is a global industry. Um, however, I think compared with many countries around the world that rely pretty much just on imported medicines, Canada's fortunate because we do have a, a strong domestic um, generic and, and biosimilar pharmaceutical industry. We've got significant manufacturing, distribution, R&D capacity, primarily in Ontario and Quebec. You know, our industry also owns and operates the largest facilities for making active pharmaceutical ingredients in Canada. So we have like 10,000 Canadians employed, and these are good jobs, and they uh, provide products to the healthcare system. The pharmaceutical chain is international, as you said, and uh, no matter which country the production is done, given the vast range of medicines, it's going to be majority of inputs will come from around the globe. What we see in uh, today's world is that many of those inputs are called active pharmaceutical ingredients. The starting material is often made uh, countries like China, and then the active pharmaceutical ingredients and sometimes the final dosage products can be formulated in, in India and elsewhere around the world. What we need to do always, but in particular now during the COVID crisis, is ensure that the supply chains operate well and that products can continue to, uh, to flow to Canada. Many of the components, as you said, come from China. Many of the products, the final products assembled in India. You know, what percentage of our drugs are made here in Canada versus made internationally? Yeah. Again, I mentioned we have a strong industry here. In the generic prescription industry, more than half of the products are actually coming from companies in Canada with domestic manufacturing capacity. So that is a, a good thing. These companies are able to react quickly to reorient their production. And we've already seen that in, in some cases, reorienting towards making more um, hydroxychloroquine, for instance, because that's considered possibly as, as one of the treatments that uh, could be effective for um, the COVID-19 virus. So I think we have more than 50% capacity in Canada. The drugs from India do represent uh, a large proportion, in particular, the active pharmaceutical ingredients. It can be up to 80% in some cases. You know, India is often seen as the pharmacy for the for the world. So it's not just Canada. It can be around the world, the developing world, as well as Canada, the U.S., and Europe. So we, we do have strong supply chains and strong connections to the Indian industry as well as the Chinese industry. But I would say as well, we have products coming from Europe 
products coming from the U.S. We ship products to the U.S. So an open border with the U.S. is, is extremely important. The pharmaceutical industry is a global industry. It requires cooperation to keep the products being made and flowing smoothly across all the borders. So Canada is not unique that way, but I would say we're in, in a slightly better position because of our strong domestic manufacturing that we already have. Now, during the pandemic, there has been a surge in demand for some drugs, particularly those used in intensive care units, including fentanyl, drugs that help people breathe, including inhalers for asthma, and as you mentioned, hydroxychloroquine. Am I saying that right? Uh, Hydroxychloroquine, yes. So how does this surge in demand disrupt the typical supply chain during a crisis like this? You know, we can answer that question about the spike in demand in two ways. One is the on the community or retail pharmacy level, and the other is in the hospital. If I go to the uh, community or retail sector first, what we saw when the when the news started getting really bad, you know, a month or so ago, was a little bit of a, a sense like there was for uh, some of the consumer goods of wanting to hoard and stockpile. Patients were coming in and wanting to refill, you know, 90-day prescriptions right away, even though they had lots of time left, the medicines they had. So what the pharmacy colleges and pharmacy groups and the provinces did was they put in place 30-day prescription limits. We found that that's been quite effective. It's allowed our industry to continue to work the international supply chains to continue to ramp up with their domestic production. And they've been able to uh, restock a number of products. So we uh, would like to see that continue for a little while. So we haven't seen tremendous spikes in in, uh, drug shortages or uh, concern on the retail side that we might otherwise have without those measures. Where the demand has been more difficult to meet, quite frankly, and where there could be gaps between the demand and the supply has been on critical care hospital products. Many of the COVID patients are in critical care for long periods of time. When they are there, they're often um, being intubated. With that comes a need for a lot of medication. So it could be sedatives, muscle relaxants, pain management medications, etc. So we've seen a, a, a big increase in the demand for those products. Our companies have been working quite closely with the hospitals um, and the hospital group purchasing organizations who work with the hospitals. We've been talking to the provinces, talking to the federal government, Health Canada, to try and understand as, as much as possible what those demands might be. Now, one of the good things is that many of the models overshot the potential worst-case scenarios, but there still is, for some of these drugs, uh, gaps between what might be needed in Canada and what is currently available. Of course, one of the challenges is that Canada is not unique with the COVID uh, crisis. Many of the patient needs are the same in Canada as they are in Europe or the United States, which are currently the two worst hotspots for um, coronavirus. So it's not always immediate or particularly easy to source these products, but we continue to, I think, find and look for new sources or to increase production here. Are we able to make some of those products here in Canada? You know, when we're talking about the the ways you're working to try to ensure the supply, how much of that is about, okay, can we... Can we produce this here? How much of that is working those supply chains? Uh, what sort of steps are you taking? Well, I think um, th- there's a, a little bit of both. We do have uh, manufacturing for injectable products in Canada. You know, our companies are able 
to when they got the demand data from the uh, group purchasing organizations on behalf of the hospital. They were able to look at what their current practices are, and they have actually reoriented and repurposed their production to to make greater quantities of some of these products. Other companies might need to look for uh, help from their U.S. counterparts where uh, some of the production might be, or as I said, possibly uh, in Europe or elsewhere. So it really varies. No country is self-sufficient on all medications. I think that's just not possible. There's such a range of medications. We need an active, strong international industry. You know, to repeat myself what I said at the start, we're lucky here uh, in that companies can reorient. Uh, we've seen that on um, hydroxychloroquine where companies are now making more of that product available. That's been very good. And as well on uh, some of the injectable sedatives and uh, muscle relaxants relaxants that we've talked about, companies in Canada are also able to reorient and produce more. So it's just a mix of Canadian production plus uh, working cooperatively with international partners. On the international front, you said that no country can really be self-sufficient when it comes to the entire drug supply. That said, there has been this swing of attitudes during the pandemic and quite frankly before from this globalist attitude of open borders, international trade to a more protectionist attitude. I'm wondering what that shift has meant for the pharmaceutical industry. Well, we um, we work quite closely with the international group, the IGBA, International Generic and Biosimilars Association. So we're working closely with our colleagues in Europe, in the United States, in India, in uh, Japan, South Africa, Brazil, around the world to try and better understand what each are facing. We have taken strong stands against any export restrictions, any attempt by governments to not allow products to to be exported. You know, in, in many cases, the plants, if they can't export, they're, they're not in business because they're supplying a, a, a local market plus an export market. So I, I think that's, it's critical that the international flow continue. You're right. There has been a, a rethinking, you know, on some critical care drugs. I, I know the government in Canada is now just starting to gather information around availability in the medium term, trying to uh, build some stockpiles of critical medicines around COVID and, and uh, related illnesses that going forward, Canada might have a, a, a better buffer if there's a second wave of the COVID or, or some, some other um, unexpected crisis arises. I think that's a good thing. I think other governments will probably try and do the same. As an industry, we certainly support measures to promote the domestic industry, to promote uh, local production. I think it is very helpful in, in times of crisis when companies are local and can respond more quickly. But we cannot completely rely on domestic production for all of the, the range of medications that uh, Canadians need. Why not? Well, because there are thousands of these medicines. There are thousands of these medicines. To expect that Canada could have enough companies to make all of these medicines is just not realistic. The availability of the active pharmaceutical ingredients, production and manufacturing capacity would be impossible to imagine. And the cost would, because you'd have very short production runs if you were doing everything for Canada here. So the, the production runs would be too too small. Having said that, I do think that uh, we have strong uh, domestic companies. You've got Apotex already producing, you know, selling 17% of all the prescriptions, generic prescriptions, Teva 
Sandoz, PharmaScience, Terrell, these all have strong production facilities in Canada. They're making products, they're selling products into the Canadian market as well as exporting in almost all cases. So I think we have a good base to build on, but it, it will never cover all, all medications that are, are needed. You know, there's just far too broad a range of medicines and a, a better solution would be to have strong manufacturing capabilities in Canada, but also to, to have a strong and fluid international system that uh, allows medicine to flow back and forth across across borders. I mean, that makes sense, especially for you think about drugs that would serve a smaller population. You just need those economies of scale. Yeah, the other thing I would say is, you know, I, I mentioned earlier we had 10,000 jobs. I mean, these are good jobs. Uh, we're exporting medicines, needed uh, medicines around the world, and they're providing good jobs for Canadians. So we do not want to cut off all exports and, and just focus on the uh, domestic market. I, there's a balance to be had. When we talk about that balance, you know, the pandemic is sort of highlighting these drug shortages. You know, Health Canada has identified 19 drugs in particular that could face shortages now that would have major effects on the healthcare system. That said, drug shortages are not a new problem. I'm wondering, can you talk us through a bit about why do these drug shortages occur and how often do they occur and how do they affect Canadians in sort of a more normal course of operations? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. The issue of drug shortages uh, and the prevalence of drug shortages has increased over the last five five or six years. There's no question about that. The drug shortages have increased in Canada and internationally. Part of the reason is that the regulatory authorities have stepped up their surveillance internationally. So some plants that were producing medicines in the past without the same rigor of regulatory oversight are now being inspected and reviewed. And sometimes they have to close down and re retool and upgrade their production to meet the new standards. You know, that's something that as an industry we're, we're supportive of. It does raise costs. But again, I think that's just a necessary issue. The other thing for the generic pharmaceutical industry worldwide, including in Canada, we've seen very significant reduction in prices over the last 10 years. Competition has increased, prices have decreased. So what we've seen is to make the business case for a lot of these medicines, you have to operate closer to, you know, just-in-time inventories and just-in-time production. And so what, what happens if, if there's a, a regulatory issue at a company, they often have to stop production and take measures to meet the requirements. That can be costly. If there isn't a large store of inventory, it, it can lead to temporary shortages. And again, it can be difficult to source these products. So we have seen drug shortages increase. In Canada, we have a, a federally operated website to re report drug shortages, mandatory for all companies to do that. So we do have some visibility on that. Fortunately, in the generic space, there's often multiple competitors. So if one company has a problem, sometimes uh, others can step forward and, and increase their production and, and meet the demand so that a patient doesn't uh, doesn't go without its medication. But it is, it is a challenge. It's a, a pre-COVID challenge. You know, I think 
post-COVID, we'll be looking at ways to to improve it. It could be through increased domestic production, increased self-reliance on some key medicines, and, and ensuring that the global international supply chain operates as smoothly as possible. So we're talking about an industry that you know has to strike that balance between global interconnectedness and self-reliance to make sure that Canadians or I'm sure other countries are having the same conversation. How can we make sure we have these drugs when people around the world are racing to buy them? What sort of lessons can we take away from this pandemic as we move forward when it comes to our drug supply? I think the federal government, Health Canada, is looking at creating greater stockpiles of really key core medicines that treat the most most urgent needs, the, the sickest of patients, the most patients at most risk. I think we should, as a country, improve that and keep those products in, in, uh, in availability to much greater degrees than we have. I think, again, wherever we can, I think a country like Canada should build on the capacity we have, should encourage that. I think we'll require some careful thought on how we do that, but I think we should try and do that. And then the third thing I think we need to do is redouble our efforts as Canada to make sure that the international supply chains and the international trade agreements, et cetera, keep products flowing. Take the example of the United States. I mean, products are flowing back and forth across that border all the time. We're, we're exporting hundreds of millions of dollars of product a year, and we're, we're bringing in from the United States an equal amount. So that is absolutely critical that that border remain open. And any suggestion that it shouldn't be, I think, is, a, is a really a serious issue for our sector. So those would be the three things. Build up our, our stockpiles, promote our domestic capabilities, and keep international supply chains free and easy, efficient as possible. And that's through trade agreements and other types of agreements where all countries can commit to to not trying to beggar thy neighbor uh, policies. That last one might be the most challenging one going forward, given protectionism. Yeah, it's very challenging in a, in, in a crisis situation, for sure. Absolutely, but certainly some lessons to take away. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Emily. I, uh, it was my, uh, my pleasure. That was Canadian Generic Pharmaceutical Association President Jim Keon. Thank you for listening, and thank you to the Financial Post team, Yudula Hussain, Bryce Hall, and Pamela Heaven. You can read our series on shockproofing Canada at financialpost.com. I'm Emily Jackson. Thank you for listening.